this is Captain Emily Rainey, and you are listening to the Hall of Mirrors podcast. Yeah. So, so realistically, I mean, your, your story is just so compelling to us. Reason being is if this can happen to you, and, and once again, I hope you can add some substance to this, but you went to a rally. You went to a rally as a, uh, not as a military official, but as a First Amendment toting American, which is your right. And you were crucified for it. And we've been doing healthcare workers. I also asked for military service members to step up if they want their voice to be heard. And we've I listened to Fred. Okay, Fred. So Fred steps up and Fred said, Hey, you need to hear the story of Emily Rainey and you need to get her on. She's inspired me to do this. So I haven't done interviews up until recently because I was under a very extensive, not exactly legal, but everything that's happening now is not legal. So I can't, um, gag order where it was, you know, just as, um, you know, pervasive and all encompassing as the one Lieutenant Colonel Scheller was just put under with the same kind of, um, threats to my discharge being made. So, um, I denied every single interview. I got my DD-214, which is my little, you know, golden ticket out of the military with right. an honorable discharge um, mid-June. Okay. So you have been honorably discharged. You are no longer in service. That's correct. Okay. Because we were trying to figure this out because I, it, could, I couldn't It's find definitely that. confusing because yeah. of how many lies were in the military or in the media and the fact that the military never attempted to clear my name and they never attempted to um, to tell the truth, which would have ruined their ability to use me as an example. <laughs> so sure. it's it would be better if they just kind of let the, the masses in the military, everyone, all the other service members be under the impression that maybe I was arrested, maybe I was dishonorably discharged, all of these things, because there's that unknown and that fear that can help control them a little bit better. Sure. So on, may I share the, um, I don't even know what you call it. The posting that was put up on base recently with your name on it. Yeah. Are you talking about the, uh, text or the photo I sent you that? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know yeah you it. can totally share that. Okay. You can totally share that. Um, that's still sitting there. It's been sitting there since January. It's part of the briefing that all the staff duty NCOs get when, you know, there's constantly staff duty. There's always somebody like on duty all through the night, every night at, at the headquarters. Right. And so this, they, if they ever get any media inquiries, because there were so many media inquiries coming from all over the world at the time, straight to that desk that they had to give them something as a guide for how to handle it. Sure. Because you, because you had said, you know, to try to make an, or didn't make an example or did make an example out of me. Well, I mean, we're kind of jumping, right. We're jumping around here, but for sure the 60 day extremist stand down that all the armed services did, I was a key vignette, even though the military knew that I was cleared of all of the charges that were levied against me, which would that ranged from, you know, criminal trespassing to domestic terrorism um, to just, you know, violating my 
you know, place of duty or whatever, because they, they had to look into every single possible thing that I could be guilty of cleared of everything. They, they never wanted to clear my name because how could they couldn't use me as a, as an example of what extremism looks like if I'm innocent of all charges. Right. So they couldn't scapegoat you basically. Well, right. So I think, um, kind of to, let's just start back at January 6th. So I was on approved leave. I was not in uniform. Um, I told my supervisors where I was going and when I'd come back. Um, and I went to a election integrity rally at my nation's capital where my, my commander in chief was speaking. So I'm on completely a private citizen as far as, you know, the military is concerned in that moment. Um, I chartered two buses locally and I loaded up a hundred folks, hundred folks, um, patriots here. Um, some of the, some of the articles written about me alleged that I, or slanderously accused me of bringing a hundred well-armed militia to the Capitol. It couldn't be further from the truth. I mostly old ladies, so mostly, <laughs> right. right. Mostly old ladies in tennis shoes that needed a tour guide because they didn't know how to operate the Metro system. So I volunteered for that. Um, I actually had two octogenarians on each arm for the majority oh, of the day. So, um, it could not have been more pure civic duty, peaceful, um, attendance in a absolutely legitimate rally um, that falls under their first amendment rights and they could not have gotten the story more wrong but it all came around because i am i was a psychological operations officer so they were really hoping that there was going to be some kind of there there you know where mm-hmm. i was going to have I, I read an article that said um those at January 6th were under mass psychosis. And here's, a, here's, here's how we know that because Captain Emily Rainey, a psychological operations professional was amongst the crowd. And, you know, maybe she was the architect of the insurrection, which the um, New Zealand Herald called me the architect of the January 6th insurrection. Holy shit. So part of my French. So that gives you a lot of accolades, doesn't it? At that point, I mean, they're, they're really putting a lot on your shoulders. Uh, I mean, first of all, I just want to say, if this was an insurrection, it was the worst insurrection <laughs> that has ever been planned by anyone in the history of the human race. I mean, there was not a, a weapon to be seen and I saw more people carrying crosses than I saw, you know, making any kind of like violent um, moves or like active, any kind of violent activities. I saw people cleaning up, you know, trash and stuff. I don't want to hear I saw people praying and singing gospel hymns. I don't know. I can't speak for what I had didn't see with my own eyes. And it would have been very difficult. I would have had to have been very close to see anything at the building itself. Um, because you're in an outer lot the, per se, or the porch. okay. It's because of the porch. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> I don't know what the word is at the Capitol, but the Capitol's porch is massive. Right. So Unless you're up there, you can't see the building. You can't see the doors at all. So if you're down like 
in the grass in front of the Capitol, you've got no clue. And not to mention, nobody had any cell service that day. I really don't hear this talked about enough. We couldn't get on, you know, Fox News or CNN and see what the, the news block, is hey, about blocking the out. Got it. You could not. You could barely get a call out. You Emily, I, I see where like the New Zealand uh, Gazette, I, I don't want to misquote them, but ultimately stated that, you know, you're, you're the ambassador of the, the PSYOPs program, and this is all a plan. That's really far conspiracy, right? But that really kind of discredits the movement that you were there for. You, and so it really, it's almost like a, a I don't want to say a, a, a counterintelligence or, or count slander, whatever you want to call it. But for what you were there for, it really t- takes credence away from that movement and what everybody was there for, which was a, a peaceful organ, uh, a rally uh, supporting right. the, the president. Well, so there's been untold number of lies um, about that day. I mean, that was one of the biggest crowds I've ever seen in my life and probably will ever see again. And, and I've heard people say things like it was just a couple of, you know, 10,000 or so of Donald Trump crazies. Um, I, I was concerned that day, but not because of the fact that I could have foreseen a false flag. Although false flag is something that we hypothetically know how to achieve in the military, especially under the, under the military deception um, side of psychological operations. So can you explain no, what a false flag I, I definitely, is for those that don't know? Sure. So it's if you ever wanted to frame another group so that you could then take action against them, um, you would, you know, frame them for for conducting a certain activity. So, you know, you've heard the theories. So I don't allowed, have an answer. Are we allowed to talk about this stuff? Can we talk about your training. Are we allowed to talk about that? I mean, to an extent, I mean, I, I basically sign non-disclosure agreements for things that are outside of the realm of for official use only. And there is a massive amount of, you know, the trade craft and specific operations within the SIOP community that sure. are still classified, will remain classified for a long time. So how many, um, um, how many years did you serve? So nearly a decade with about half of that being in the special operations community. And you, you were deployed? Several times, yes. Um, okay. I was deployed to Afghanistan and to Iraq. Okay. I know I couldn't find that anywhere either, but I just wanted to yeah. let the people know, um, you know, how you, how you <laughs> have a, a hero in front of us, right? Someone that was willing to give everything and, and to be, and, and until the this event uh, in January, you had an unblemished record, correct? Obviously, well, yes. I mean, yes, of course. I held a top secret clearance for 10 years and, and that's not possible if you, if you have a criminal history um, or if you are deemed unworthy of, of holding on to our nation's top secrets. So, Okay. So, so let's circle back then. You're, you're, at, you're, you're at the, oh my <laughs> God, I just, Jen Saki. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> wow. That was unintended. Um, but so you're at the Capitol. I can't believe I did that. We're going to edit that out. No, um, we're not. Uh, you know, she doesn't have a monopoly on that phrase. Oh, I know. And I've also noticed she hasn't used it much recently. Wonder why. Yeah. Uh, Has I'm she a, finished the conference? I, I'm embarrassed right now for doing that. Uh, anyway, Lately. so so, so you're back, we're going back to January 6th. 
you're there, you, you've got, I don't want to portray it as uh, assisting the elderly. You're there for, for the rally. What happened? As a volunteer. As a volunteer. Yeah. So I, I helped organize um, folks from North Carolina to go because, you know, it's a pretty long drive for a lot of people. So we chartered these buses and I split everybody up, you know, as, you know, the military leader that I am. And I can't help but logistically prepare sure. um, for, for whatever I'm doing, whatever kind of event I'm doing, you should see me plan birthday parties. <laughs> so we split up into um, groups of 10, around 10 people each. And I, and I signed kind of a squad leader, you know, somebody that could take that, those 10 people around and make sure that they stayed safe because safety was a concern of mine. And here's why um, I went to the November rally in DC and the December rally in DC, where I actually took one busload of people, the media kind of missed that, um, which is fine. But um, both of those previous rallies had a massively dangerous Antifa presence. Okay. And it was very clear who they were. Um, we saw in December that you've seen the footage. I'm sure your viewers and your listeners have seen the footage of the folks getting attacked um, on their way back to the Metro or the way back to their cars. Um, and so, you know, I managed to avoid any interactions, um, the first two, but on Antifa's telegram channels, signal channels, and just plain on their just open, you know, Instagram and stuff like that. There was, they were telling each other that they were all going to dress like, like Patriots, red, white, and blue is what was their plan to be disguised. And since before they were always kind of together, all in black, kind of all behind a police line, which is ironic given their opinions on the police, they were needing the, they felt the need to be protected by them um, in previous rallies because they were so outnumbered. The fact that they were nowhere at all on January 6th, it, it let you know that they really were everywhere. And so I, you know, had these, the people who I brought with me and I'm facilitating their trip. I had their safety really as my, my highest priority. I, you know, I, I, I couldn't have anticipated what kind of did happen, but I was really thinking it was going to be something more along the lines of the, the Boston marathon bombing. Okay. Like some Yikes. kind of you know, pressure cooker bag on the side. in a right bag mm-hmm. in a crowd. And then, you know, something goes off or so I was concerned in that respect. I had my head on a swivel, which is kind of a military phrase where you just kind of not relaxed the whole time because you're just constantly looking for something to be a threat. You're in a hyper vigilant Um, mode at that point. You're there and you're right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, you know, I, like I mentioned before, there were, there were elderly people with me and um, handicapped, you know, folks with canes and walkers and stuff like that. So it was definitely a concern of mine the whole time. Um, Even to the point where each squad leader, I'll call them without, without the risk of sounding like it really was a militia that I brought. I I was just, just, just the way of organizing people. Right. I actually provided them with a trauma kit and taught them how to use a tourniquet because I was, you know, sick to my stomach about what might happen because I had seen how threatening Antifa was and they were really upping the ante during every rally. Sure. So um, really, although we could see we, after, after president Trump spoke or even before, because he kind of was long winded. Uh, surprise, surprise. As, as he gets, and so right? we, a sure. lot, 
So many of us actually left because we couldn't hear him anyway, because we were so far away, started kind of walking towards the Capitol. And this is something that the media has really missed out on. And I think most Americans don't know. There was a program for the day. And um, and I'll send it to you. And if you want to put it up on the screen, you can. But Absolutely. we didn't Certainly. march to the Capitol because Trump told us to go raid the tra- Capitol, like, you know, some of the left wing media has been saying. It was on the schedule to go over there by 11 so that we can get the next round of speakers. And the list of speakers was, was published. We knew exactly who was going to be speaking over at the Capitol. So, and having this been my third rally, they were all kind of similar. There was always like a spot at the beginning where you would go listen to speakers and then you'd march and go listen to more speakers. And that's the way that was the kind of canned format for the previous rallies as well. So this whole idea that there was some kind of a charge, first of all, most people left before Trump even said that, you know, said we're going to go to the Capitol. Most people were already on their way there because he was over his time and it was very cold. Another thing that was not mentioned very much in the media, frigid, probably like the coldest day I can remember. Yeah, January Um, January 6th, right? It's going to be cold out in D.C. I didn't... (laughs) Right. I mean, I've, I've done the March for Life and that's really cold, but it wasn't supposed to be so cold that day, but the windshield made it made it really, truly horrible. And so no, even I don't have as many photos of that day because our hands were frozen and we didn't want to bring our phones out. Right. You know? So um, and it became clear after arriving that there was some kind of scuffle with the police and we can only see that from afar because of the fact that there was tear gas but to those of us who were there it was kind of like okay well whatever is going on is going to be dispelled and then we'll get back to our program (laughs) so we're kind of like all waiting around for that where's the tear gas getting launched from at this point from the face of the Capitol? So, it, so up past the staircase. So okay. on this, you know, the veranda, I guess, is better word than porch. But sure. yeah, on the veranda, there there's people, I suppose, up the staircase to the point where the police were launching tear gas. And at this point, the your group is what, a couple crap. hundred yards away? Um, I, I have some photos, um, which... I was very reticent at the beginning of all of this um, to release because it, it it was never made clear how close was too close, like oh, legally. Sure. You know, to this day, I mean, I think that they've kind of that the the the, the authorities, the government, have kind of made the cutoff point to be like, if you didn't go in, you're good. Okay. Like, kind of, pretty much, well, unless you're like somehow involved in a, in the planning or you got caught on camera doing something violent. That's that's kind of the cutoff. And, but since hundreds of people went in there, it still is a, you know, a big deal, but um, the, the picture you sent me, that, but, you took that one. Yeah. And that's, that was my, in the military, we call it limit of advance. That's as far as I got. Yeah. Because at that moment, um, right after I took that photo, I don't know if you're going to put it on the screen, no, or not, but right I, after I, I will, took that I'll photo, edit it. I will, if you want me to just, not you right can, now. you can. Okay. Um, okay. um Somebody, there was a a guy came over in my peripherals right after I took that photo and he had a megaphone and he he kind of looked not right. And he put in the megaphone, he said, 
tip of the spear to station six, tip of the spear to station six. And I was like, oh, I'm out. (laughs) I'm out. We're getting out of here. Like a a lot of folks in my group wanted to go closer. And I said, if you're going to go closer than this, um, you're going alone. You're going against my advice. And um, we did leave um, before the mayor like closed down with the curfew and all that. Um, and before leaving the grounds of the Capitol, my, my group, the 10 of 10 folks that were with me, we did, we, um, we joined hands and we prayed for our country because we knew that something significant had happened. Um, we knew that the, the American people were tired of, the corruption and tired of the lies and tired of the politics and tired of the tyranny. And maybe this was a bubbling over moment at that point. None of us knew how far anybody had gone to the Capitol. There was only rumors about Ashley Babbitt, you know, a girl having been shot. We couldn't really confirm anything because we couldn't get on our phones, but we knew that, um, that this was going to be, major um no one anticipated the spin that was done on it um but i can tell you it really was one of the best days of my life and people ask me if i'd go again and i'd say i'd go every day for the rest of my life it was it was uplifting it was empowering it was um peaceful it was um just just massively different than it every way it has been portrayed and and i'm proud to have been there so let's i just want to rewind it just so the listeners can kind of put together this story in august of 2020 you got a i don't even know if it's a letter of reprimand but a warning i don't know what you want to call it for the playground incident correct Mm -hmm. in the playground incident like Mike was saying, you took down some caution tape. It was on a video. So then you fast forward to January 6th. This happens. And so did, so somebody turned you in or reported you? Um, I kind of reported myself. So here's that story. Um, so North Carolina district attorney, um, his name is Josh Stein. Our North Carolina governor is as tyrannical as they come, and this is his goon, right? And he goes on his social media a couple of days after January 6th on his Facebook and puts, um, basically calls on North Carolinians to report on each other, anybody who was there. So I'm starting to read the comments and I'm seeing people like reporting on their fellow citizens, just like as if this was the Soviet Union, like right. everybody oh is in the, like everyone's reporting to the Stasi, you know? Sure. And, and I'm seeing, and it's, there's, they're paying special attention. All of the, um, the snitches, uh, the Karens are paying special attention <laughs> to folks that the state can actually do something about. So like bus drivers, teachers, uh, elected officials, um, you know, anybody that might work for the state, trying to get them fired. It was mostly like, I saw a comment saying, um, the bus driver works for this school district and moonlit and drove this church group down on a bus. 
And I was so disgusted with my fellow Americans in that moment. And of course, with Josh Stein himself, that I get in the comment section and I say, my name is Emily Rainey. I took a hundred people on two buses to January 6th. Your witch hunt is evil. Come find me. And they did. Well, they didn't. Um, <laughs> they didn't. The Associated Press did. And that's how it went international. Um, they called me on Sunday night after the rally, which so that was a couple days later. And I was actually headed into church when I got the phone call. And it was just from the Associated Press reporter. And I gave just the facts. And by like 3 a.m., there were hundreds of articles all over the world talking about Captain Emily Rainey, the PSYOPs officer. Well, we were texting and I'm trying to connect the dots. I'm try- I thought I knew some of the story. I didn't know anything. And, and so uh, by January 11th, you were on like every <coughs> single major publication. Go ahead, Mike. What were you going to say? Yeah. Uh, so when... When the story broke, AP gets a hold of you. Are you on the base at this point? At, at that point, are you ever brought in for interrogation? Uh, how does that go for you? That's a good question. So this was Sunday night when the story broke. I, I had every anticipation of getting arrested at the gate on my way to work in the morning. Um, I don't live on base. Okay. Um, but, you know, made it through the gate and I was like, okay, all right, well, maybe cooler heads have prevailed and the military isn't going to just get swept up into this media firestorm. Um, and I would say, given the fact that this isn't the first time that I've stood for something, you know, I, I started, a, the, the folks that I brought with me were part of a nonpartisan conservative activist group that I started at the beginning of 2020 when I saw all this happening. It's called Moore County Citizens for Freedom, the county that I live in. Um, I had to become quite the expert on what I am and what I'm not allowed to do as a service member. I actually wrote an article for SOFREP, which is, you know, a widely read um, news source for the special operations community. And um, the article is entitled the do's and don'ts of being a Republican or, De- or Democrat in service. Okay. So you can look that up. Um, you can Google that article and see that I, I had to become c- quite the expert of what I was and what I wasn't allowed to do. And so I, I think I effectively and, um, uh, you know, respectfully maintained all of the regulations and the policies And so, and because I never broke any, the military was never able to go after me after with on January sixth with any kind of UCMJ Uniform Code of Military Justice. So, um, your your um, previous guest, uh, the service member who is anonymously called, we call him Fred. He talked about the Gomar process. These general officer memorandums of reprimand. They are. Um, they were, they were never supposed, they were never created. These, um, reprimands weren't initially instituted to hold the weight that they hold now. And, but it is entirely extrajudicial. So a general can give you a Gomar for just simply not liking your face. Right. And they don't have to pretend like there's any justice associated with it, but oftentimes there is this kind of, um, apparent, you know, you, you, 
apparent um, process, even though they don't have to give you any kind of ability to defend yourself. They can just give you this career ending reprimand. And, and as your previous guest mentioned, you can have it either filed locally or filed permanently. Permanently is absolutely career ending. Locally, you might be able to progress um, with that in your file as long as you can, you know, eventually PCS or permanent change of station away from that locally filed GOMAR and you can kind of move on with your career. Well, um, both on, um, both with the park and in January 6th, everything that I did was specifically because of the oath that I took. And so instead of groveling and begging for a locally filed GOMAR, um, I basically said, you know, this is um, prejudicial against conservatives. This this is an alarming trend that is continuing throughout the whole military. We, basically, we can all see it. We can all see what you're doing here. Right. Um, I I am unapologetic. In fact, I will double down now and say that anybody that is in the military that took this vow, took this oath and is not standing up right now, is not fulfilling their oath, and is not living within the army values. Um, So, you know, it's a real shame that more people haven't stood up. And that's what I told the general when he issued me my first Gomar and my second. So the the general, and there's got to be generals all over the country that have the same thought process as you, but don't you know, let, let's face it. Are, are they, they in it for self-interest at this point, their career's almost over They're they're cush. So I'm just going to go with the program and deal with this for a couple of years. And then the next president will be in and hopefully the title change again. Well, guys, I can't say what their motivations are, but I can, I can guess. And that is, well, first of all, when you have eight years of the Obama administration who are promoting yes man type of folks bureaucrats who seem to generally not stand for anything as long as they can make the next rank and get that next um sweet gig at the pentagon um these you know our 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 officer corps has not just in the army but across the dod has been truly gutted of of true believers, like people that love this country. And instead it just people that are, it's really turned us into kind of mercenaries where you're just doing it for the benefits. You're doing it to get your pension. Um, and it's become a job, not, not a career or a lifestyle. Right. It's not so much a profession of arms anymore. And, and this is not entirely, you know, service members fault when when you are constantly deploying and the mission is uh, not understood if we spend 20 years in a country it's it's very easy to be like what is all this for and you have to kind of start just looking after yourself right it, these these never ending wars that don't really that anybody that's been to been there you know, you can find small wins and and reasons to keep pushing that mission. But a lot of times you're looking around, you're like, this is not doing anything. And everybody, I mean, I was in Afghanistan in 2013. I can tell you, we knew it was dumb when we were there in 2013. And I had friends die there. And I was just like, you, you really have to 
ask yourself, like, was their sacrifice worth it? Or are the folks in Washington just feeding us to the slaughter for the military industrial complex? Because it doesn't really seem like we're achieving anything here. And so eventually that wears on you and it starts to kind of wear down your, you know, the reasons why you may have joined the patriotism that you started out with. So it's not ever, it's not entirely their fault, but you know, it's time to kind of rediscover why we all raised our right hand and why we put on the uniform is, you know, that oath and, and the freedoms that instead of it being a truism, like I'm fighting for freedom, like, but really what is freedom? Like what, what is that thing that you are trying to preserve? Because this ain't it. Right. When did that click for you? I'm I was going to ask something. When did you have like just an epiphany <laughs> well, at, my, at some point? My question is this, it's a little off going off, but you're so, you're so wise beyond your years and you're so well-spoken. I want to know at which age did you know, this is what you wanted to do when you were like a senior in high school, what were your goals? Did you go to college? Did, you know, what was the career path? Cause I'm blown away. I just well, like, I, I could sit here well, and listen to this all day. I, re- I really think that as far as that story is concerned, you might be a little disappointed. I'm the oldest of seven children. Both of my parents were West pointers. Um, my mom got out after five years and oh. my dad retired after 27 years of service. So, so it's the DNA, um, it's a, yeah. And a lot, I have a lot of members of my family who have um, served um, in the different services. So the, I, I started out, um, you know, 18 year old me, like signing an ROTC scholarship um, because there wasn't any other way that I was getting college paid for, you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. so yeah, I get it. that's how it started out. <laughs> I mean, I'm not like this, um, you can't, you couldn't write a book about like my early motivations for why I served. I mean, it was kind of utilitarian purpose, you know, I just, sure. Hey, this is pragmatic. So I'm going to do this. Um, but you know, like I said, since I had my parents who, who were mentoring me all along the way, um, I may have seen things going South and I was able to see what was happening, you know, in our country and, and in the service. Um, because, you know, my dad, I remember t- him telling me, like, things are not, you know, all is not well. Um, there will be a time during your career where someone's going to give you an unlawful order. And you wow. are going to have to decide what to do with that unlawful order. Um, so he foreshadowed so he that, prof- huh? That's, that's crazy. He's kind of prophetic in that right. way. And um, I, always, I always carried that with me. Wow. All right. So that leads to my question. What, did you have an epiphany one day you were working and, hey, this is what, or did, was it a slow lead into you started this organization or did, did you, you know, was there ever that realization that what my dad said is coming true and I need to do something about it? Well, I never went to a protest I never led a protest. I never signed a petition. I never voted in a local election ever before 2020. So like a lot of Americans, I was really asleep. I mean, I didn't, there was things about the world I didn't like, but I didn't see how existentially dangerous, you know, 
our country, you know, teetering on the brink of kind of an irreversible path until the lockdown started at the beginning of 2020. Um, I, like everyone else, um, at the start of all of this um, stuff, all of the, the virus stuff, was trying to make sense of it and was worried. I mean, me, like being in the service and, and knowing how absolutely evilly intended many of our enemies are, I was pretty sure that it was a biological weapon from like day one. And so I was very concerned about it right from the start. It did not take very long though for the data to start coming in. And it was like, okay, that's not, and maybe that that is a theory still, I get it, but it's not dangerous. Like I was concerned about right from the start because China doesn't have any issue killing its own people in order right. to get to us or into affecting the world's economies. Cetera, We've had this discussion before. Um, it was just, well, just conveniently timed. Right. 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 So, right. So, so I, I'm not going to, once again, like to your listeners and your viewers, like I was not involved. I, you know, I was not involved in anything. Um, I remember staying up one night, it was somewhere around mid-March, the lockdowns were starting. And I was like, I cannot be the only one thinking that this is really bad idea to start telling everybody that they can't have rights because the government has to protect us from a virus that seems kind of negligible and, you know, when compared to the flu and some of these other things. So so that's when I started this group and it very quickly, you know, grew and just locally. And so my concerns were just local, like caring about, fi- you know, caring about local issues involving the lockdown, support- supporting businesses, figuring out um, how we can um, support each other through all of this and to stand up for the right things. And so then Memorial Day weekend rolls around and that's a couple months later. And I, I've mentioned to you that I've had friends die. One very close friend of mine um, was killed. And I just kept thinking, like, look at all of these. Look at all of us. We're just handing everything that my, you know, my brothers and sisters died for. Like, they really died for this. And we're just handing it right over. So I was just, I was prayed about it. And I was just thinking, how can I honor the memory um, of, of those who, who sacrificed it all. And I said, well, let's just go back to the people that did it best. I mean, who did civil disobedience best? I mean, I'm thinking about Gandhi. I'm thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. Right. So I I just like, okay, let's, I'm just trying to channel them a little bit. All right. What do I do all the time? Well, I play with my son at this particular park it has caution tape all around it. Um, so on Memorial Day weekend, I took down the caution tape. I live streamed myself doing it, and the police were it. called. Um, <laughs> Just that little, the police so were one called. of your one of your citizens, fellow citizens, called the police on you. Yes. Just that one simple act, right? And that's that's like we talk about it a lot. You know, things people come in your life for reasons, and things happen for a reason. Right. And here you are. It's, it's pretty profound. It's amazing. All right. So caution tape. And I never, I never started out. Yeah. I never started out to make um, statements. I, 
I started out to just do my little part and make my little choices to resist it. Right. It's, um, but you know, I think when you stand up to a bully, like you really empower a lot of other people. And so since I did that from the start, I think some others have stood up because of that. And I, and I can just, I just pray that more will as time goes on. So Fred obviously said that you inspired him. That's why, that's why we're talking today, I believe. Um, I'm going to share something with you real quick, just because you said you had never voted up until 2020. And I've talked about voted this. locally. Right. I voted for the big oh, elections. The not big elections. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I never voted oh. for like a mayor, school board, or anything like that Got because it. I never lived in one place long enough to care about any of that. Right. So I was just going to share, I voted locally and everything, but I've said it before. I can't remember if it was on a podcast or if me and Mike were just talking, but oh gosh, I was sold on change. Right. I'm not that much older than you, but. Um, where Mike and I are from, we're from a very diverse area, uh, like the backbone of America. And, and so I was sold on change. I'm a two-time Obama voter, two-time before I voted for Donald Trump. But I mean, you, you know, you had your moment where you're like, had that aha moment. Well, I ran for local politics myself multiple times as a Democrat. The union that I'm a part of largely i mean they're all democrats right so because i wanted their support i ran as a democrat um but sitting in and we live in like maybe one of the most corrupt counties in all of the united states (laughs) and that's not even a joke i'm dead serious have you heard of moore county north carolina (laughs) well i mean this is like this is like jimmy hoffa goes missing corrupt right this is um you have the steel industry, you have the auto industry, you have all these industries here. But um, I mean, once you sit in, and this is what opened my eyes, was sitting in South Lake County, Indiana, Democratic meeting. By the way, the leader of that group is in prison right now. Uh, But then before he was arrested, like I saw shit with my own eyes, I'm like, what am I doing here? I couldn't even believe what I was hearing or what I was seeing or being asked to do. That was it for me. I was out just like that. But um, I just wanted to share that. I don't know why I felt compelled, but I won't, I'll let Mike talk about his own stuff. I'm not going to speak for him, but then, you know, then I'm like, I, I'm never living that way. I, and we say we're not, you know, we try not to be political or, or swing one way or the other, but um yeah, I would never, that was enough for me. No, I, I understand that totally. Uh, I, I've came up on the, the, the opposite side. Uh, on the more conservative, grew up uh, Catholic, conservative, Republican, uh, the entire way. We, it actually leads to some very interesting conversations between Randy and I, uh, because we do have kind of opposite perspectives on things. Uh, I'm I've, I also have ran for elected office. I, what I'm, I like to call professional loser. If uh, you need somebody to win, let me run against them and they're going to win. It makes two, so, that makes two of us. Uh, so, so that that's okay with we're, me. We were also the youngest on the ballots by yes. far. So, uh, you know, I, I do have a question. I, I don't want to 
take away from this. I, I really appreciate your time. And I have one very interesting question. Insofar, when you when you said the, the vaccines, uh, you know, you saw something was wrong with this, not necessarily the vaccines, but the lockdowns and whatnot. Was that were you were you kind of gaining that information from your training and experiences like this is something and I don't want to get you into tradecraft uh, too much with it. But were you drawing fr- from your, your tradecraft saying, wow, that there might be something to this that we need to know? Well, I mean, that's a really good question. So Hmm. after January 6th, when, um, when everybody kept bringing up the fact I was a PSYOP officer, I had some people like come to my defense and they would say, she's a patriot. She's a service member. She's a, you know, she's a conservative. She's a citizen of this country. Like the fact that she's PSYOP has nothing to do with this. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Yes, it does. (laughs) okay and not because not because i'm the architect of january 6th okay the reason why it matters is exactly what you just mentioned like i'm trained in the way in such a way that i can reverse engineer this i mean Mm -hmm. there there is such thing called the psyop process there are phases there are sub steps there are techniques you know and i started and and just for some context, it is highly illegal for a uniform service psyoper, no matter which service it is, to conduct any psyop on U.S. citizens. So much so that we have to really like jump through our ass to make sure that expats living in other countries aren't accidentally influenced by our psyop done outside the country. Okay. Every single PSYOP operation and program is reportable to Congress. And, and, you know, we have to answer for every single message we put out to Congress. It's that highly regulated and there's so much oversight. So I could go to jail for conducting PSYOP on United States citizens. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, holy shit. Right. They're doing PSYOP on American citizens. And I'm like, why isn't anybody in jail? This is wholly unethical. Because I mean, we don't do this. I could go to jail for this and they're doing it. And I'm not just talking about like private companies, because sure. I mean, PSYOP and marketing Uh, share some commonality. Right. Yeah. I'm talking about the United States government. I'm talking about the department of human health and services. I'm talking about the CDC. I'm talking about the FDA. I'm like, wait a minute. And yeah, that did. That was a huge reason why I got involved to begin with. Cause I'm like psychological operations and psychological warfare is the most dangerous force on the planet. I would rather face somebody with a bomb than somebody that knows how to use PSYOP correctly. I, and, I and it cannot be understated how how dangerous this is and you know really kind of how screwed we are considering no one's going to go to jail for any of this well, please, please, please tell me you have bigger plans <laughs> please tell me you've thought about this and there and you know what you want to do moving forward well i guess we'll just have to wait and see oh uh, there's going to be a part two i hope with us i yeah. hope you're enjoying this conversation this is, this is great <laughs> i feel like we're just scratching the surface we're just getting going so oh would, emily would you agree that even the the tone and inflection in the the president's voice when he says 
what, what did he say? This is a, uh, a pandemic of the unvaccinated. That causes the dissent and that causes the, the, the divide between the you know, citizens. And it, I mean, it, that in itself it, it is almost trying to control a populace where it becomes an us yeah. versus them. And that's, yeah, that's troublesome. Propaganda. Yeah, that's so troublesome to me that, that our, so, our commander in chief is doing this. Have you ever heard of the 10 stages of genocide? It's about to be dark. I have not. Randy's going to look it up, but <laughs> go ahead. Okay, so typically PSYOP has to come in after some of these horrific genocidal um, cultural war type situations that happen in other countries. And a lot of times we're going in there to clean up the mess. Okay. Oh shit. We're on so, step eight. What was that? You could argue that. I said we're, <laughs> we're, we're almost to step eight. Okay. So I'll just pause well, her and I'll just read through these. One's classification without explaining what they are. Yep. Two is symbolization. Three is discrimination. Four is dehumanization. Five is organization. Six is polarization. We've done, we were there, right? Seven's preparation. Eight's persecution. Nine's extermination. And 10 is denial. Okay. So where are we? <laughs> where are we in there? All right, Emily, you've just. So ruined, they're not necessarily sequential. It's more like, it's more like how many out of 10 are you at? And, you know, a lot of people might say we're on step eight already, but I, I would say that there are two things there are two major steps that we would still need to see. Um, everything else has pretty much happened. Um, we need to see, like, if we need to be watching out for organization. And organization is the step where you have a enforcement um, element. You need to have either control of the military mm-hmm. or you need to have some kind of other group like, you know, the brown shirts, the jack boots, think of, you know, tyrant X or genocide Y. There's always some kind of enforcement group that can actually make some of this stuff happen. So this is what I scream at the top of my lungs about all the time, because it started with the, it started way before 2020, but since 2020, the 60 day extremist stand down, which is nothing more than a hoax to purge conservatives from the ranks. And then now the uh, vaccine mandate, which is it's completely nonpartisan, considering the fact that like even Trump is still pushing this vaccine. Right. Like. Can't, you can get it I won't or not. It doesn't matter. Get yeah, that. I won't even get I won't even get into it. I won't get I won't even get into it. It's very clear that like it's really just a matter of critical thinking. It's not a matter of left or right because you've got the the super hippie styles on the left, maybe that don't want to get it. Um, you've got strong, you know, you have Trump supporting service members that are gonna just do what Trump says. So really you you can't really peg the kind of person that's saying no to this per se. I think most of them are conservative, but most in the military in general would label themselves as a conservative. Although I think that that demographic is slowly changing. Okay. So you, so now what you basically have are people you're, you're purging the military further, not necessarily of conservatives or somebody of one, you know, particular party, but of the kind of people who are not 
are going to stand up right. against a something that is not a lawful order. It's truly not a lawful order what they're doing. I mean, Fred didn't mention it, but there is no FDA approved vaccine available to military service members. So you can't force it. So you're they're at they're telling service members this is a direct order, go get the FDA approved vaccine and there is none to get. Like you cannot access the FDA approved vaccine. We don't have, it's not manufactured in the US and we don't have access to it yet. So literally it's unlawful because it's not possible. So there's, it's literally an unlawful order. Um, It's against the constitution. As Fred mentioned, it's against everything that we all signed up for, everything that we took the oath about. Um, And as leaders, it goes against it goes everything. It goes against everything we know about unit cohesion, building the brotherhood, um, esprit de corps. The morale is completely tanked in the military right now, um, and you know, taking care of other people um, rather than be giddy about pushing them out the door and having nothing, you know, giving them nothing for their service, is you know, is destroying the military from within. So I asked, um, but I it, asked. it is a. It is effectively getting out the people that are that have the spine, and that is where I'm concerned that we're there, we're getting into that you know that stage, it's number stage five organization because right. if you have if you control the military and you have no critical thinkers and no one that's going to say no when they give the order to turn off their their guns on the American people like they have in in Australia, who's right. going to stop them now? Right. Well, that's what I was going to ask you because I asked Fred. I said, do you think? That when shit really hits the fan, the majority of the military, are they going to side with the people or are they going to side with the government? And he is like 60, 70% are going to side with the government. And that like, that just ter- doing my job, that tears right. me up inside. Uh, right. um, so I want to know your opinion. Well, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier. Like when they've disillusioned the military to the point where everybody kind of feels like, okay, just got to look after for me and mine, you know, it's hard to get truly get, have your whole heart behind some of the wars we've been fighting, these endless kind of nonsensical things that we've been doing for so long. So instead of like really being wholehearted in, in the, in what you're doing, you start thinking about how, what I can get out of it. So what are the benefits, how I can get, can kind of squeeze the most juice out of the military so that when I get out, I'm going to be financially stable. So um, I think, I think the biggest thing I've heard from the, the friends and, you know, the coworkers that I've had um, who have ended up getting the vaccine, even if they didn't want to, which I think the majority of people didn't want to, like people weren't like raising their hand and running and getting in line. It was kind of like getting nagged a little bit to go. It didn't take much for a lot of people to go. Yes, there is the majority have gotten vaxxed. It's not 91% or whatever Biden said the other day. Mm-hmm. That's just factually inaccurate, complete lie. Um, but there's a lot of buyer's remorse happening right now of because they're seeing those people that had more courage than they did. Um, and, and I've had people actually call me after getting it, friends and coworkers of my former coworkers and apologize. I'm like, why are you apologizing to me? Cause you know, it's like, it's kind of eating up at their conscience because they're seeing, you know, folks that had stronger, you know, 
we're made of stronger stuff. Sure. Like Fred, really. So um yeah, I, I guess what I tell people when they're when they're trying to give me the excuse, like I have to provide for my children, I'm the only breadwinner, all of that. Um if if you want to talk about providing for your kids, talk about the kind of country you're handing to your kids. Yeah. See, I That's, wish I mean, what what kind of provider are you if this is what you're giving as an inheritance to your children? I, I know what it's like to have nothing. And there's a happiness sometimes there when you have nothing. It's, it's really hard to explain because as you progress in life and the more money you make, the more they take. And then you got stuff, you know, it, anyways, I just wish well, that. I think all Christians can understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And I wish that the majority of people knew what it was like to have nothing. So they're not afraid to do it again, because I'm, if this comes down to my career, I've already made the decision that. I'm standing up for what's right. Um, my wife today, she had an exemption through school. They pulled it today. She got a, and it was a disrespectful email. Didn't even address her correctly. Um, pulled her exemption. So now she's faced with getting her master's or throwing $30,000 out the window. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and she's a nurse and she still hasn't been forced to, to get it at work, but schools forcing her to well my my other half is five years away from a retirement and after 13 deployments and 15 years of service he will walk away rather than get this thing so we're also going to have nothing (laughs) and we will be happy because we can look ourselves in the mirror yeah right that emily i i want to thank you for taking time for coming on our show today um we I, i commend you if there's anything we can do for you in the future, uh, besides promote this video out and get your word out, please don't hesitate. I'm hoping uh, within the relatively near future, maybe 2022, which might be a midterm, there might be something planned. Um, I, I'm hoping that that we're we're around and uh, you afford us with the uh, uh, your your presence here on the podcast again. Yeah, I'm going to stay in touch just in case we we do this again if, if you're willing. Yeah, to. for sure. You guys are awesome and. Yeah. I mean, what are podcasts anyway, but just like people being a fly on the wall in a cool conversation. So That's it, was fun. it was fun to chat with y'all. Real talk, but real inspiration for people that are looking for it. Yes. Okay.